it's time to share your story. Welcome to Revealing Conversations with Patron Nicole. Heart-led discussions that reveal, release, and unveil. You will leave this hour lighter, brighter, and inspired. And now, here's Patron Nicole. Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Valentine's Day, another beautiful day in Lake Oswego, Oregon. I decided last night that it was just way better to go out and have a lovely dinner with my partner, Jerry. And so we decided that it was uh, to stay local, to go to a beautiful Italian restaurant and uh, have the place to ourselves. So it was a wonderful celebration, and I hope you do the same. Today, um, we are very, very blessed to have this beautiful planet, and I woke up this morning with my list of gratitude about how blessed and how incredible this world really is. I spent uh, a lot of time outside in the mountains over the weekend, and whenever I get on top of a mountain, I have to tell you that I feel invigorated and the oxygen level is different, and it clears my head, and I just feel such a feeling of um, thrive in my in my life, of moving forward and taking on big projects. And so if you're feeling down or you're feeling stuck, I just recommend to go to the mountain, maybe go for a hike, or just get on top of the mountain, climb a mountain, and look down, and your world will look quite different from there. But today I have a great pleasure of introducing a friend of mine who I met 20 years ago in Roseburg, Oregon, when I had a restaurant and healing center. It was a little place called Sulawesi Juice Works. We had a bakery, vegetarian juice bar, vegetarian restaurant, juice bar, healing center, gift cards, bookshop, and we even had massage therapy in the back. And Lori came in one day, and we became friends and have been close friends ever since. So I have the pleasure of introducing to you Lori Rubenstein. Lori was an attorney in Roseburg, a family, a divorce attorney. And uh, she now lives in near Sedona, Arizona, but I'll let you, her tell you that whole story. She describes herself as a square peg trying to fit into a round hole as a divorce attorney. And after 18 years of that very uncomfortable fit, Lori was living out her mission to empower people after stressful relationship breakups. As a forgiveness teacher, divorce coach, and author, Lori coaches on the practical as well as spiritual aspects of forgiveness, acceptance, and compassion, teaching that what some call tragedy can, in fact, be the soul's greatest gift. So, Laurie, are you on the other line? Welcome to the show today. I am, Petra. I'm so happy to be here, and happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> to you as well. It's so, you know, when 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 we interview people for the show to come on the show, and your your interview fell exactly on Valentine's Day, I thought that was definitely not an accident, because I <laughs> I feel so much love for you, and I'm so happy you're here today with me. So, I know thank how you. perfect thank is you. this. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It truly is. Uh, we definitely have a heart uh, joining or a sisterhood, you and I, and since the very beginning when I had these retreats at, at my house in Glide, Oregon, and sweat lodges and all these amazing things that you and I got to experience. And um, so uh, so tell uh, the, the audience a little bit about how you came from that transition. I mean, how did you go through that transition and how was that for you from attorney, divorce attorney, to doing the work you do today? Well, what's so fun about this, of course, is that you've seen me through this whole process and and you know you know what I've gone through. So, you know, as a divorce attorney I was I was working for eighteen years in a legal system that that really doesn't support or empower people to do really well in their lives post-divorce. It's all about, 
you know, fighting with each other and who can win, and I'm, I'm sort of putting my fingers in quotes when I say win, um, rather, you know, who can get the most out of the other person rather than how can we be a great family afterwards. And that was, that was just always a struggle for me, uh, living, living in that system. So mm-hmm. I, I tried to quit. <laughs> you know? I kept saying, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit. And I couldn't do that in Oregon because people would then come to me and say, oh, but I really need you to do this case. I need you to do this case. I need you to help me with this or that. And I would get really sucked into it. So, um, you know, a lot of that is ego, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, to to really stop being an attorney, I felt like I needed to leave. And mm-hmm. I had been coming to Sedona for a while, which, you know, amazingly, I heard about Sedona standing in line at Sulawesi at the juice bar while you and Nadav were talking about Sedona. And I stood there and I said, oh, my gosh, I need to go to Sedona. And I did. For the next few years, I kept going back, going back, going back, and then said, you know what, I'm moving there. So that's how, and then I had to figure out, you know, well, what do I do employment-wise after that? And that's when I decided to, to do divorce coaching and more mediation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what was that like when you actually went through that whole process of shutting down your uh, store? I know you had a house. I mean, you had you had your business in a house downtown Rosebrook, and you had your house with your children. So that must have just been really, really taxing on you to to uh, to uh, disassemble all that. I mean, I can't even imagine how much work that was for you. You know, I it was hard because I was also getting. Um, like a lot of people were saying, you know, what are you doing? Like this doesn't make any sense at all. You're going somewhere, you don't have a job, and you're taking your children out of high school. And I had such a strong feeling of I need to be in Sedona. And I didn't really know why. But I, I knew that it was calling me, and it was calling me, and it was calling me. And I've been here for 12 years now. But anybody that you talk to, almost everybody, um, who lives here, they didn't come here for a job or something that's logical. They came here because their heart said, you have to be there. And interestingly, you know, I ended up moving here, and within – uh, nine, nine to 12 months, I met my husband now, Kevin, um, you know, right after I moved here. So, so I feel like, you know, it was the universe putting me into this situation where I could be here and, and actually meet my husband, my future husband. So you were spiritually really led to this place. That reminds me of a, a poem or a, a, a phrase I saw the other day by Lao Tzu, and it, it goes like this, if you want to become full, let yourself be empty. If you want to be reborn, let yourself die. If you want to be given everything, give everything up. And so you gave up everything. I really did. I mean, this was such a, you know, really going on faith. Like, I, had, I did have savings, but, you know, when I decided to sell my house, for example, it sold right away. When I decided to sell the business, the building where my business was, which was a beautiful building, um, it sold right away. You know, everything, mm-hmm. ev- everything just worked. I mean, it was smooth. The transition was smooth. Um, of course, you know, well, my son was fine with it. My daughter was not. Um, but she wasn't fine with anything at that time because she was a teenage girl. Um, you know, again, we don't know the big picture for things when it happens, but I do believe that when you um, when you know something is right, even if you can't articulate it, you've you got to go for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I hear you on this. I mean, it's, this has been, as you know, my story so well. Mm-hmm. That has been throughout my life, at least my journey, which I write about in my book. And, and now you are an author. You wrote a book on forgiveness. So so tell me a little bit of how that all came about and how you 
decided to write that book and what happened and and uh, what was the in- initiating factor? Well, you know, I had written two books before that, and that's what sort of led to forgiveness. The, f- the first book, I actually started up in Oregon when, you know, I was an attorney, and I would send people to counselors so that a counselor would, like, fix them <laughs> so I could work with them better as an attorney. And the counselors weren't fixing them. And I would get really frustrated because counselors would give them drugs or, you know, would it, it just they weren't helping the person to really be, again, self-empowered. Um, they, they caused more dependency, I would say. And I needed people to be strong to make really good decisions for themselves while they were going through a divorce. So at that time I had started coaching school and I started having these, um, I started teaching through the community college, Umqua Community College. I started teaching these classes called Transcending Divorce. And I did that for a few years. And I would send my clients <laughs> into those classes plus other people and, and help them to really move forward in their life faster than they, than they were on their own. And out of that mm-hmm. came Transcending Divorce. And then... Um, after that, when I moved here, I, start, I did the same kind of thing. I had groups for people. I was working part-time as a legal advocate for the local domestic violence program here for a few years. And I started teaching classes to survivors of domestic violence. And out of that came freedom from abuse. And what I realized at the end of both of those books, you know, you have to go through a lot of hard work to get there. But eventually, I started talking about forgiveness at the end of both those books. And when I was here, after I had moved here, um, I'm going to say about maybe eight years after I moved here, so maybe that's four years, five years ago, I started really working with people much more on forgiveness. And people actually said, oh, you're a forgiveness teacher. You need to call yourself a forgiveness teacher. That's what you do. And so I basically started writing this forgiveness book. I asked people to contribute their stories, people that I had worked with, um, that I knew their stories, and I asked them to write about them. So that the book is like a combination of other people's stories, and and these four steps that I was basically given. I mean, I felt like it was very channeled, um, four steps to forgiveness. And, you know, it was interesting to see how the stories ended up fitting into those four steps, you know. So anyway, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a long process. But as you know, I mean, when I went through my fir- first divorce, I was all about blaming the other person, and I wasn't, I wasn't really learning or growing from that. As long as I was blaming him, I wasn't dealing with my own stuff. So that was, um, you know, a learning process mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, when, uh, when you started uh, thinking about moving to Sedona, it was already after you had written two of those books and you, you, you probably also at that point, I would imagine you had uh, clarity that there's really never a victim. It always takes two people and we have a contract with people so that we can learn. And, and somehow the universe is going to get our attention. And usually, unfortunately, I should add, we, our attention is gotten through, um, you know, adverse reactions, like when, when we were suffering. You know, we would, I would like to be a conscious co-creator of the divine plan and learn not by default but consciously instead of fighting against it. So when situations show up that I don't like and I want to dismiss or throw out, then perhaps we can learn to embrace that. And, and I saw that you going through the process of having that shift in Oregon when you decided you know, no, I'm going to do the spiritual work now and I'm not going to blame anymore because that will, in the, in the end, you know, ruin my career, ruin my health, ruin my relationships with everyone, you know. So is, is that correct in, in assuming that? 
Right. And as long as, you know, as long as I'm in a place where I'm blaming somebody else, they did this to me, I will always remain a victim. And that's one of the things that I really would love for people to understand is that once once you get to the place of forgiveness, you are no longer a victim because you've taken, you know, one of the steps in forgiveness is personal responsibility. You've taken personal responsibility for what you've done in the relationship. And once you take personal responsibility, you have all the power. You took all the power back because then you can make different choices in the future and you can change your perspective of how you see things. And, you know, once, once, we make enough mistakes in our lives. <laughs> you know, we have that perspective mm-hmm. of, you know, everything happens for a reason. There are these connections that we don't see at the beginning, but we eventually we do see them. And we have, you know, again, living from that place of faith where, you know, everything I'm going through right now is for a reason. I can't see it, but I know mm-hmm. it's for a reason. So what are my lessons? What am I supposed to be learning from this? What are my takeaways? And if you can, if if we can practice doing these things, you know, building, I call it building your forgiveness muscles, you know. Well, if we can practice on a regular basis doing these things, when things are not that hard for us, then when life throws us those big whammies, uh, we'll be able to handle them in an easier, more graceful way. Mm-hmm. And, and don't you think sometimes... Forgiveness is so hard for someone that they almost have to fake it for a while. It's almost like, like you said, you know, they have to develop that muscle. Like I go to the gym and I've been out of shape for 30 years and I have to sort of (laughs) fake it in the beginning that I have those muscles, right? And then I go back and eventually that muscle will grow to lift whatever needs to be lifted off of me, right? And, and, and I I think it's, it's, um, it's difficult for some people, especially people that go through murder or a really, really heavy-duty abuse or where a child was hurt. It's, it's hard. It's not always easy to forgive. I mean, we can talk about it, but on a mental level, into a cellular level. Don't you, don't you agree with that, Laurie? What do you, um, can you speak partially. on that a little bit? Yeah, I can. Okay. So partially. So I, I really feel like, I mean, it's funny because it's like the opposite of what you think I would say. (laughs) Um, I think especially for spiritual people, there's a lot of shoulds around forgiveness. And I feel like there's a season for everything. And, And it's, you know, your time for forgiveness will be there when it's the time. Um, But to really honor, honoring your path, accepting where you are. So, for people, and I think that a lot of your listeners are very would consider themselves to be very spiritual people, right? And mm-hmm. what I notice in the spiritual co- community is that people feel like they shouldn't be angry. They shouldn't be hurt. They shouldn't feel resentment. You know, they should be bigger than that. They should be over that. And I feel like, no, you know, it's the opposite. You know, you need to really be... It's like if you beat yourself up for being angry or feeling hurt about something, (laughs) you're like doing triple damage, right? Because, you know, just the thoughts that you think about, the thoughts that you think are hurting you even more than just the thoughts that you think or the feelings you feel. And so if you can just accept that I am really hurt, I am really angry, and really go into it and go through those feelings rather than saying, I'm fine, I forgive, you know, and and sort of acting as if. That's where, I mean, I, and, and, you know, again, I can only speak from my own experience that I think that people heal, people heal more from the truth of where they are than from the make-believe place that they are? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, someone that has had, a, a, you know, a horrific experience with, a, let's just say uh, someone who had a husband that perhaps cheated, 
on, mm-hmm. on, a, on a wife. And, and how do you forgive that? I mean, how do you, how do you come to terms with that? And if you're really spiritual, your tendency would be to say, well, I can forgive this. I can transcend this. I, can, I have to transcend this. Give it. But then we eat that anger and that disappointment and that abandonment and all of those things deep into ourselves. But my point was earlier, how did we create those things? Like on what level do we create that movie out in the world so it can play out? So the universe then plays it back to us and says, here, over here, we need to, uh, you need to work on forgiveness around abandonment. Because no one's ever really abandoned. Let's let's put this person in your life that's going to, at some point, cheat you. And then you can look at that picture again and again to learn it. Because it's usually something that comes from early childhood, where perhaps there was abandonment already within the body system. Yeah, exactly. And what you're talking about, so in my, so let me go through, I'm going to say what the four steps are. Because you're like on step three. And I'm and I'm in this place of telling people like don't rush through step one and step two. So so if in in my the way this has really come out through me for me, um, one of the things when I was writing this book is I kept asking like every day when I sat down to write, I would ask that all the masters who work with forgiveness to be with me while I wrote, and that's how this came through. So. Um, like step one is acceptance. And I think acceptance is really important. Of It doesn't mean, again, being okay with what happened to you, but it's accepting the truth of what happened to you. And I think that's really important because we all have a different map of the world. And, and if, we, if we start off with this whole story, around what happened to us instead of just sort of what the truth is, we can't really heal um, because we're healing from a false place of starting rather than the truth. So um, I hope that makes sense. So, and then step two is is when you um, – am <laughs> I like going, wait, what is step two? Um, and that's where you start taking personal responsibility for your actions. So you start looking at it, and you go, "What is my piece in this? You know, what what is my piece?" Step three mm-hmm. is what you were really talking about, and that is what are the gifts or the lessons? And that's when you get into that whole like. What did I come into this relationship for? You know, what was that purpose? And I'm going to say, I mean, this is a great thing, again, on segue on Valentine's Day to talk about intimate relationships. Almost all intimate relationships are there to heal something in yourself. So we pick out people in our life that will help us heal something or or we can help them heal something, um, usually from their childhood. Mm-hmm. Fourth, absolutely yeah. absolutely right? mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the fourth step you'll love this because this is how you started the show today is on gratitude and when we stay in a place of gratitude in our life and we're constantly feeling gratitude we know then something hard happens to us we can actually trans- we don't have to look for gratitude in just the the things that are so obvious you know that we're so grateful for but in the things that are less obvious, this fight that I had with my husband or um, this person who cut me off in traffic or, uh, you know, what, you know, or, oh, I gained five pounds on the scale, right? What can, what is there for you to be grateful? Well, if you can be grateful on all those little things all the time, um, then, then again, when those big things happen to you, you stay in gratitude and then you can slip into forgiveness quicker, faster. It becomes just a, a part of your life. It's like a, the treadmill of your life. You know, gratitude, forgiveness, gratitude, forgiveness. And you don't hold on to things like you would normally in your life. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So are you uh, currently teaching? And can you uh, share with the listeners your website and email? And how do people get a hold of you, Laurie, if they want to talk with you, coach with you, or come to one of your workshops? Sure. Um, so my website is laurierubenstein.com, and that's L-O-R-I-R-U-B-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. And they can write to me at laurie at laurierubenstein.com. Um, I teach classes and retreats, but I don't have a lot up on my website right now because, as you know, I'm going to be a grandmother in four weeks. So, um, so I'm sort of not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not planning a lot of workshops, but I am still, of course, coaching with people one-on-one. So if anybody wants mm-hmm. to have, you know, forgiveness sessions or, you know, any kind of relationship coach session, um, I'm definitely happy to work with them. And now you shared with me a little dream you had this morning that maybe you'll be coming a little closer to Oregon in this time. So that I'm certainly looking forward to that because I love uh, to teach some classes with you. So we work well together. So we really look forward to having you here, of course. Or I have to come to Sedona. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, I and I think, um, you know, in the next few years we'll get to see a lot more of that, a lot more of maybe some joint retreats and things like that. I think so too. I think so too. So, so now uh, uh, you have some gifts to give away uh, to our listeners. Do you do you want to share that, please? Yes. Um, actually, they can go um, on your radio, on your page. There is a link, but they can also go laurierubenstein.com/gift. Make it easy, right? <laughs> and uh, this is an audio class I did for an organization called Sedona women's the Sedona Women's I don't even remember now. Um Institute, the Sedona Women's Institute. And it was a class on gratitude. On gratitude and forgiveness being two bookends. And so it's a free one hour class and they can take that class and, and just enjoy it. Oh, that's so generous. Thank you. So I want to talk to you about a subject that I know has been very dear to your heart, and that has to do with the subject of human trafficking. And mm-hmm. I know you are an advocate of that, and you're you're involved with some organizations. And, and can you speak on that a little bit, please? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. So I'm an ambassador for an organization called Shared Hope International, and people can look up the organization um, by going to sharedhope.org. And this organization helps to prevent and educate people and, and raise awareness around issues around sex trafficking. One of the things that happened locally is, you know, I'm reading the paper and then I see that there, are, um, there, there, were, there was this big arrest. There was a sting operation. Mm-hmm. And eight people got arrested for having sex, for for purchasing sex with children in our community. And when I say our community, so people, you know, who don't know, I live in a place that is like under 16,000 people in the entire community. And so you read about this and you go like, oh, come on, you know, that happens in Thailand. It happens maybe in Phoenix, you know, in big cities. It doesn't happen here. And it's shocking. Mm-hmm. So um, I contacted the. I actually do uh, education classes with the detective um, who who did the arrest, and I found out that not only did they arrest these guys, but they put an ad in the paper, you know, that basically made it very clear that this was to purchase sex with children, and then they warned the people on. The call, again, this is for, you know, people under 18, children under 18. And these are the guys that showed up with the money. There were over 300 calls. They couldn't even keep up with it. And every single time, even though this has been in the paper now the last two years, every single time they do a sting operation, hundreds of people call to purchase sex with children. 
and mm-hmm. you know it's it's mind boggling i mean it it is absolutely mind boggling and these are so these would be people from like age seventeen or eighteen to in their eighties, you know professional people, mm-hmm. not professional, married, not married, i mean just anybody so um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's technically, there's more people enslaved today in the United States than there were in the 1850s. And, it's, um, it, it is mind-boggling, like you said. It's, it's, um, it's hard to imagine that this is going on right now. I mean, I have a, a friend, a little friend who lives in Los Angeles, and she's a model, and she was in Italy and was sent to Italy to do some photo shoots and she was being diverted, and she, if she hadn't caught on to it, she would have been trafficked out if she hadn't caught it, and she was suspicious yep. of what was going on, the way she was being diverted, and her flights were arranged. And, you know, there was some interception going on, and she was, you know, six foot tall, blonde, beautiful. She would have never seen her parents again, for sure. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's so going... heartbreaking how clear, how fast it happens, too. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just heard on the news that uh, flight attendants are now being trained to spot uh, children. You know, like uh, if someone's yeah. traveling with a child and the child's not having eye contact with the with the flight attendant or not answering questions to the flight attendant, uh, they in fact just caught someone because of a flight attendant spotting that. I don't know if you heard that story. Yeah, it's on my Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really exciting. In fact, my sister-in-law is a flight attendant, and she told me a couple of years ago that they were starting to train the flight attendant. So, um, you know, I'm really excited mm-hmm. about it because because that's happening. But also another thing that's really exciting is that we're getting to get into the school. So this was the second year in a row that I got to speak to all the ninth graders here at Mingus High School, um, which is about 380 kids I spoke to last year and this year. And, um, you know, about what to look for and how to avoid it and, you know, what they can do to protect themselves and their friends. So, so getting to be part of that, you know, giving the information out, because here in Arizona, when somebody gets tricked into trafficking, the average age is 14. And, mm-hmm. you know, these these kids can't handle that. You know, that's not okay. That's, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you speak, it's really always about prevention and making and speaking to the children and making them aware of the tactics that these people have and how they send people out. I can't remember the program. There was a program where they tested uh, parents. It was, it was, it was incredible parents' reaction. They, the parents went out for dinner and they did this test where these kids were on the computer talking to someone online who was more or less their own age or maybe a little older and then they would sneak out of the house and meet that person in the park, and then right. they would get picked up by a van. And right. then, of course, the cameras were in the van, and parents were already in the van. But they, most of the parents, when they were interviewed prior to this incident, they said their children would never do that. Yep. And yep, 90% exactly. of them were wrong. And that is what blows my mind, quite frankly. I'm just, I was amazed how easy it is to sway a, a teenager, 13, 14 years old, you know, they're starry-eyed and they look the, at the world with, with rose-colored glasses and they want to fall in love and meet the gorgeous boy. And these guys, they come up with all kinds of tricks of how to do this. Yeah. So they're yeah, always reinventing I mean, everybody's, Yeah, looking for love in all the wrong places, you know, to, <laughs> you know, which is sort of the bottom line. But, but I, I love that. And, and people can look that up on YouTube. There's actually there's a YouTube of all of that. Um, when I, so you know, I considered myself a fairly good parent, and my daughter was um, going to sleep at a friend's house down the road from us, and I knew the friend. So this is how like watchful I was. I knew the friend's mother. 
The friend's mother stopped at my house with her daughter to pick up my daughter and drive her down the street, right? So I know where my daughter is. Three o'clock in the morning, I get a call from the police. Having stopped a truck filled with 17- and 18-year-old boys and my daughter in the back, drunk, at 13, heading up to Portland. Oh, my God. And I'm like... Mm -hmm. Right out of my mind. So she told the parent, she told the mother that she was feeling sick and was throwing up and had to come home. And so the mother let her walk home. You know, again, not thinking it's only it's like it's less than a block away from my house. And instead, her daughter then the mother the other woman's daughter said, you know, I want to sleep at so and so's house since my daughter wasn't there, and they did. And then my daughter snuck to go to that other person's house where they all got drunk with a bunch of older kids. Mm. And, uh, you know, how quickly she could have become, um, a, you know, trafficked. Um, I had, you know, no idea about that at the time, but that's certainly what could have happened to her if the police hadn't stopped them at 3 o'clock in the morning. So I can see how fast it is, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily parents' fault. Um, so this is why I'm trying to really educate the kids, because ultimately it's their personal responsibility about the, the decisions that they make. And when they get drunk, um, they're going to make bad decisions. There's, you mm-hmm. know, That's what's going to happen. One drink is going to mm-hmm. lead to bad decisions. You don't make good decisions mm-hmm. when you're drunk. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. and it is so fast. So why? So I have, a, I have a question for you, Laurie. Why do you think that our planet is going through this still? Like, where where is this coming from? This is a psychosis. It's a it's an addiction. I mean, we I know you know uh, we had uh, during Roman times there was a lot of slavery and there was a lot of um, you know. Uh, there were a lot of things going on in Roman times. Like my aunt would always say, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, everything's turning into it, you know. And, and <laughs> it, it was, there, was, there was no morality at that time, you know, very little. So w- w- have you studied that a little bit deeper and looked into that subject more? Yeah. So um, I was just watching a great, again, YouTube is amazing. There's so much on YouTube. But you can, people can look up... Um, Pornography in the Brain, Pornography and Addiction. And it is literally the, it's one of the most addictive things that can happen um, to us as human beings. When we're watching different, um, like men are watching, you know, girls mostly, you know, a different one and a different one and a different one and a different one. There, it's leading to one, you know, them becoming very bad in relationships, being bad lovers. It's actually leading in, to erectile dysfunction for young men like they've never had it before. I mean, it's, it's really, really bad for, for them. And what happens is they want more and more and more. So, you know, they start off with maybe soft porn and it gets harder and harder and, and, and more and more disgusting and more violent. And they start then, so like if you take a regular heterosexual male who is interested in women, eventually with pornography, they start looking at things that isn't even within their normal range of what they would be interested in. So then they're looking at younger and younger girls. They start looking at children. I mean, and, and, you know, then it gets more and more disgusting and worse and worse. Um, and And then they start looking for it physically because watching it online isn't enough. They start wanting to take, you know, part in that. And the whole issue of child pornography, not pornography, child pornography and child um, using children um, for sex is really about demand. You know, it's about what we call buyer's demand. 
And because they're willing to pay for it, they're willing to pay a lot of money for it, um, it's out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, the number one thing we can do is, I'm, I'm going to say men, um, there's a program on sharedhope.org where men can join a program called the Defenders where they stand up and they say, no, it's not okay to watch pornography. It's not okay to get addicted to this. It's not okay to go to strip clubs. It's not okay to pay for prostitution. It's not okay to pay for children for sex. You know, this is not a victimless crime. Just watching it is, you know, criminal action. And, again, Shared Hope, one of the things that they're doing is they're changing the laws in all the states. And right now all 50 states are – seeing children as victims rather than they used to arrest children for the crime of prostitution. And now because of organizations like Shared Hope, our legislators really understand that these are children who are victims. These are children who are stole, whose lives were stolen away from them. You know, these, these kids mm-hmm. are only living seven years. That's the average lifespan for a child who's taken like this is seven years. Oh, my God. I did not know Yeah, that. I mean, it's, you yeah. know, you think about this, seven, you have like ten, seven to ten people a day having, you know, horrible, violent sex with you seven days a week. How long, how long are you going to last? This is, mm-hmm. you know, destroying and most soul. Of them, And they drug them. They drug them. And they, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and actually, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that, but it's also, it's really psychological, um, abuse and manipulation, you know, how most of the Johns keep, not the Johns, the um, traffickers keep their, their, the girls from leaving. A lot of it is just psychological manipulation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so uh, glad that you are involved with this organization, Shared Hope, and it's sharedhope.org. And yes. you can sign up as a ambassador or join or educate yourself and, uh, you know, educate the children around you to be aware of these things. And so this is uh, an amazing uh, an amazing um, program that you're doing there, Laurie. So I really commend you. And uh, no, at some point I'll be getting involved with this as well. We have the same problem here in Portland. I mean, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. We've heard that there's a lot of that going on here. It's so sad, too, that um, children in Cambodia or, you know, other countries are literally sold into sex slavery by their parents, you know, because it's, because they're so poor. So there's that going and on. And they're well. actually sold into slavery here, too. I mean, it's um, it's the meth users especially, the parents who are meth mm-hmm. users are selling their children. I mean, it's crazy. I haven't heard of that. Wow. Okay. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> is, I know. I know. Subject. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's a really hard and tough subject. But you know, with anything, when 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 things are so overwhelming and you don't want to deal with it or hear about it, and you know, you just want to cover your ears, getting involved mm. is the best way to handle it. You know, doing something mm. about it when you take action and every single person can take action. You don't have to be an expert. You know, I, I start out every single talk by saying, I'm not an expert. You know, I'm just somebody who read about this and said like, Oh my God, this is horrible. What can I do? And then, you know, in, in like six hours, shared hope can give you all the information to actually become an ambassador for them and go out and, and do these awareness programs and teach people about it. And if you don't mm-hmm. want to do that, just learning for yourself is great because you can be talking to all the people, excuse me, that you know, you know, just in your daily life. And you can probably really save somebody's life by having mm-hmm. this information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like you shared, I mean, earlier about your daughter sneaking out and making an excuse. I mean, kids are very have, have a great imagination, you know, and if they want to get out, they get out. We can't just yeah. tie them up. Right? You lock them into the house. We have to educate them. And, and you know, and, and if we are telling them what to do and we yell and scream at them, you know, it doesn't usually work. They run away. You know? exactly. So I've had some 
some friends of mine are so afraid of all this that they become so strict and so disciplinary with their children that in the end, you know, it really backfires. So I would always recommend that parents become educated and learn techniques on how to speak with their children because there can be breakdowns sometimes, especially when you have a defiant teenager that doesn't want to listen to anything or, you know, at that age when they get to this place where everything we say becomes nonsense to them. Right. Do you remember that? Right. Where they're rolling like, their eyes like we know nothing. We know nothing no matter what we say. We don't have any idea about anything. Well, yeah. this is yeah. this is so so you're going to be a grandmother. Yeah, in the next 4 weeks. So congratulations. That is incredible. And I know the other day, you and I were on the telephone, and you had you said something very sweet about becoming a grandma. And do you want to do you want to on a good, you know, it's, a, it's closing to this conversation about human trafficking. This would be a little <laughs> bit on a lighter subject here. And you said something very sweet. Can you can you what share that with us? What did I say, Petra? <laughs> you you said something about how uh, being a grandchild, having a grandchild, is a reward. Of of for, for having being a children. parent. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, somebody told me that. You know that um, being a grandparent is the reward for having children. And you know, I mean, it was. I mean, I don't think you, you know your son wasn't as bad as my daughter was, and my son was even they're good born too. on the same day. They're born on the same day. Those <laughs> they <two>. are. <laughs> How crazy. But, um, you know, it it was tough. I mean, I have to say it was really tough. And there were times that, um, you know, I, I really didn't think that I would get through it. I mean, she tested me. She's a Taurus and I'm a Scorpio, right? So, you know, it was just a constant battle, a constant battle of wills. And I always said, though, I threw out the whole thing. I always said she was going to be a great adult. It was just getting her there. That was my job. <laughs> and if I could get her out of high school, not pregnant, and you know, not addicted to drugs, then I will have done my job. And I did. And now she, all she wants to do is be a mommy. You know, it's which, which you know, in a way, I think it's 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 such a blessing for me to hear that. The most important job in the world she sees is being a mother, not having a career, but being a mommy, and that that mm-hmm. I will get to watch my baby, you know, have a baby, um, is going to be a great blessing to me. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Well, I always thought you were an exceptional mother because of your attentiveness, you know. And and you never you never so many people when they have defiant teenagers just stick their head in the sand, and eventually just say okay do whatever you want I can't argue anymore. <laughs> I used to go to the coffee shop because my son was this great debater, you know he could argue for three hours straight and I would be just exhausted. I said you need to become a defense attorney, John. And I would go to the coffee shop and I said when you're ready to really talk with me, call me and I'll come back home. So I would leave for a few hours. Oh my god! Isn't it funny that we got oh through this? Oh my god! And for, I know. For anybody he was. listening right now, <laughs> for anybody listening to the show right now, I'm sure you're getting a good laugh out of this because if you have kids, I'm sure you've been in this place before. <laughs> oh we need a vacation from parenting sometimes when we have teenagers. But my son is now 25, and your daughter is 26. And they turned out great, and they're amazing kids. And uh, your daughter is just uh, uh, one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen. So uh, congratulations. Mm-hmm. And and it's such a pleasure to know you, Laurie, not only as a friend, but the work you're doing in this world is really tremendous. And I thank you for showing up in my reality in this life. So thank I, you. I so, you know, I so feel the same way and I so love and appreciate you. I mean, I when I think about it, you know, like where where did this, you know, did I start waking up to to a different, you know, perspective and taking personal responsibility and you were definitely, you know, there for me at the right time, the right, you know, time in my life 
when I was going through my first divorce and, um, you know, and, and getting to, to see that there are other avenues besides the legal system and being angry, you know, and I think that that was one of the, the greatest gifts that you brought into my life. So I thank you for that, too. Oh, that touches my heart very deeply. Thank you. So, well, Laurie, I wish you an amazing Valentine's Day. And to (laughs) everyone out there, the listeners, I hope you have a beautiful, love-filled day with your partner, your children, your animals, or wherever you are. It doesn't matter what that looks like. Just the big part of it all is is to have gratitude and to treat yourself well, to give back to yourself. Give yourself a big hug. Look in the mirror and tell yourself how much you are in love with you because it is so important that we fall in love with our own spirit, that we fall in love with who we are. And out of that love, is born a whole new place, a whole new person that can then give back to the world. And if we do so much and give so much out to others and we're not bringing it back into our own hearts, then it goes out of balance. So for all of you moms out there today, whatever you do, get a bath, put some lavender in it, or go to a movie with a girlfriend, or go out to dinner with your husband, boyfriend, whoever it is. I wish you an amazing Valentine's Day. And to you, Lori, I love you, and I am so glad you're my friend. I love you, too, and thank you, Petra. I'm so glad, too. Goodbye, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. Ciao, ciao.